0: you awake? Yeah. I just want you to know I hate you. So dad. Please go away. Let me sleep for the love of God. Why don't you
1: tell me a story?
0: How do you sleep at night? I don't want to hang out with a bunch of wannabe corporate sellouts.
1: Rock and roll bedtime stories exist to lay waste to the rumor innuendo. Actually, probably not lay waste to it. Uh, That's a great way. Waste. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's it's here to set straight the rumor and innuendo you've heard about your favorite rock and roll bands. It's hosted by a couple of nerds. I'm one of them. My name is Brian, and speak for yourself. I'm Murdoch. And Murdoch and I met by being two nerds who were supposed to be working, but instead stood around and talked about rock and roll history. So, but we were at a radio station, a classic rock radio station, nonetheless. So it seemed okay. Uh, so. We've started doing this and you guys have responded. Thank you for uh, returning visitors to the pod. Uh, You can get involved. We are the storyguys at gmail.com to email us and and maybe send in a request if there is a story that you would like us to do the research on. We will jump in and do it. Um, It's actually crazy that we've done this many episodes and not done anything involving Guns N' Roses at this point.
0: Oh my gosh! We haven't done anything involving Guns N' Roses.
1: First off, you alone could probably write a book about GNR yourself because you're a walking encyclopedia. This is like one one of the uh, original things that we used to talk about is Axel and the crew. So that's yeah. that's the number one reason that it's weird. The second one is that there are so many rock and roll bedtime stories uh, about Guns N' Roses. Like, there are so many random, crazy rumors and things that you've heard. If you've ever listened to rock and roll in the last 30 years, uh, you have heard some random story about their antics, right? And and it's a lot of bands, you look up and you're like, I wonder if there's a crazy story about Marshall Tucker Band or whatever, right? And you have to dig around and you can find like one. You look up Guns N' Roses crazy rock and roll excess like as your Google search, and you're basically just going to get like 500 pages of stuff, including a bunch yeah. of articles in every major rock and roll publication over the last 20 or 30 years documenting these things with giant countdown lists. Like They are known, they're kind of like the poster children for rock and roll bedtime stories, uh, at least in terms of stories of excess. So that's, that's crazy. I will say there are a lot of things we're not going to cover on this show. We're not going to do a full try to get in all of the uh, Guns N' Roses stories because that would take like 17 hours to even start to scratch the surface.
0: Yeah, right.
1: And we're not going to do an Axel getting in a fight story because there are so many of those. Uh, Axel getting in a fight with David Bowie. Axel getting in a fight with the guy from Thelonious Monster. Axel getting in a fight with a female cop. Like all of these things exist in the universe. We're not going to do that. Axel
0: getting into a fight with all kinds of women that he's sleeping with. Axel getting Absolutely. in a fight
1: with his other bandmates. Yeah, we're just, we're going to skip all of those.
0: Um, yeah. Also, by the way, if you've never seen the YouTube video, this is very easy to find and very quick. If you want to see the last performance of Steven Adler before he got fired from Guns N' Roses, step in Guns N' Roses Farm Aid, and they introduce them. And Steven Adler comes out on stage pointing at the crowd, and then he falls into his own kit and then they get up and they they play civil war and the true story behind that was he never rehearsed that song and you'll see Slash's back is to the audience because he's facing steven the whole time to sort of ex- show him where the changes are and he plays it like without a hitch and then they're like he's fired because he's on drugs
1: well, which, which is some amazing hypocrisy. We're going we're going to talk about that. It's really funny that you jumped to Steven Adler because there definitely is a GNR's drug and alcohol policy was pretty hypocritical element to this story. So we'll get there. But I will also say that I don't think we'll ever do an episode on this story about the recording of Rocket Queen. I just don't think that that's good for us cuz no. this is a family show. So we'll leave that one yeah. alone too. As soon as we get this on uh the interwebs and when we're talking about this on facebook as we often do you guys jump in and and have a lot to say about the different uh, topics that we discuss there will be someone who will be like well tell the rocky queen story and i'm just saying no we're not going to do that i will say that i decided that we're going to move i I, it's funny that you went to adler because normally you talk about guns and roses you start with axel right okay i'm gonna i'm gonna move the spotlight from axel over to the guy in the top hat our friend slash is
0: he your favorite gnr member who's your favorite member I guess so. I, I like Izzy and wish Izzy had been in the band longer because I thought Izzy wrote terrific songs and actually Izzy and Axel grew up together. And so I think they would have been a terrific songwriting team. Um, I, I do think that slash is a great guitar player. I, I think Duff's really interesting. Duff McKagan has a financial consulting business now. Do you know that's a thing? <laughs> like old rock stars doing financial consulting? But he got sober and like decided to explain like how to get rich. To, so he he has like a thing like you know obviously he has a book just like Slash had a book. And now um, it's like
1: I'll also tell you about your four hundred one k.
0: Yeah, I do know that the reason I like Slash, my favorite thing fact about Slash, you're going to tell me something I'm I'm sure I haven't heard before. My favorite fact about Slash is he recorded most of his guitar solos for Usual Illusion one and two laying on his back in like a studio by himself kind of like everyone else like did like axel did you know you everyone did like isolation everything like he did the solos by himself you have left out the fact that he was very high on heroin the entire time i i didn't think that was a question things
1: (laughs) well duh why would i say that he was also wearing the hat these are things we assume about slash okay so uh before i jump into this story i will tell one almost personal story about an encounter with Slash. I wonder if you remember this. So do you remember friend of the old pod? Uh, Mark and I have had several podcasts together, but friend of our old pod, uh, Rob Fee, who now Mm -hmm. uh, works for Marvel and Disney. Yeah, so Rob Fee uh, at one point told me he knew Slash. Do you remember this? No, I don't remember this at all. So I I don't even remember how this came up, but we basically realized that we were both going to go to this Aerosmith show at which Slash was going to be opening with the snake bit. Wow. Weird. And so it's a little bit out of town. So we both drove, and I text him when I get there, thinking, because he kept bragging about how he was had been hanging out with Slash on tour, I keep thinking he's going to invite me back to the trailer. So I'm texting him at the venue, and then he just responds to the text with a picture of him with Slash with no invitation. Yeah. He's just like clearly backstage with Slash. He's like, yeah, no, man, life is good. I'm back here. You're not. um, I'm not putting my name on the line for you at all but uh no hard feelings i probably wouldn't have done it either and and rob has gone on to some great things like i said i think he is is making spider-man comics it's unreal
0: um, oh my gosh
1: oh. yeah that's actually what he's doing now is like writing storylines for spider-man comics for marvel
0: all that to Saul say,
1: hudson i'm ready for the saul hudson story well before we get to him we actually have to start somewhere else uh in the time period in which the story takes place which is the movie theater let's go to the movies for a second In 1987, which is the year "Appetite for Destruction" comes out, there's there's a movie that came out. Let's see if you remember this movie. Start a guy named who was would later go on to be a U.S. governor. His name was Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, The Predator. The name of the movie was yeah. The name of the movie was Predator. She says the jungle just came alive and took him. We cannot see it. No blood. No bodies we hit nothing but it sees the heat of our bodies and the heat of our fear
0: whatever it is out there killed hopper and now
1: it wants us it kills for pleasure
0: he was to alive
1: it hunts for sport
0: It's killing us one at a time
1: we're all gonna die but this time it's picked the wrong man to hunt if it bleeds We can kill it. An American science fiction action horror film. That's a lot of modifiers. Uh, Directed by John McKiernan, written by Jim and John Thomas, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger as the leader of an elite paramilitary rescue team on a mission to save hostages in guerrilla-held territory in Central America who encounter the deadly predator, a technologically advanced alien who stalks and hunts them down. Now... Yes. Do you, Great movie. Have you, have you ever heard the story? Uh, yeah. What's your relationship with this movie, first and foremost?
0: Okay, so I love this movie. I loved Alien versus Predator. I loved all those weird movies afterwards um, as well that were totally strange. So, so that's my stuff. And I, I really thought, you know, I didn't like Terminator as much, but like I liked him. I liked uh, Kindergarten Cop and Twins. And jingle all the way. Like, I like Arnold's terrible movies, you know? So
1: do you know where the idea for Predator came from?
0: No, I don't know that. So
1: this is the story, and this is a little bit like a Hollywood bedtime story as opposed to a rock and roll bedtime story. Following the release of Rocky IV, there was a joke that started circulating in Hollywood that Rocky Balboa had run out of opponents. So they would have to, in the fifth film, make him fight an alien. So Jim and John Thomas thought that was funny. And they decided to write a screenplay based on the idea of fighting an alien. And they originally called it Hunter because the original idea was, what is it like to be hunted? Right? Like if you are going, instead of you hunting an item or you hunting an animal, or you hunting an alien? What if the alien is hunting you? So, so that, that's what they ended up doing. So, it, you know this movie was noteworthy for several reasons, and I think it's important just because we are uh, this story all takes place in the late '80s. Spending a little time here makes sense, even though we are really a
0: music rock and roll podcast. Is Carl so, Weathers in that movie? Right? Uh, I believe he was. Yeah, the guy, the guy from yeah, right the the guy from the Rocky movies, Apollo and, Creed.
1: Yeah, and I, as I know him, um yeah. Happy Gilmore's uh, golfing coach. So yeah. a call was put out when they decided to make this movie on. Uh, how are we going to make this alien look awesome? And and the look of the Predator alien is very important to this story, and that's why we're spending time here. So ultimately, they call Stan Winston, who was the visual effects guy on the original Terminator, and so he'd already worked with Schwarzenegger, right? They they'd had another they'd had guys come in and draw who, what they were going to make the Predator look like, and they were like, this is just not right. So they end up hiring Stan Winston. He's on a plane ride with James Cameron who made alien. So this comes yep. in later. You've already blown the punchline here that later there is an alien versus predator. He's sketching monster ideas on a plane with James Cameron. And Cameron says, "You know what? I've always <laughs> wanted to see a creature with mandibles." So that and that ends up being kind of a defining feature of Predator, right? Like these
0: yeah, big which is crazy. the creepiest part.
1: Oh my god. Which is so creepy. Yeah. This freaked people out in 1987. The alien looked so freaky, and there were so many yeah. optical effects in the movie that this film was actually nominated. Did you know this? It was nominated for an Oscar for visual effects, not for Arnold wow. Schwarzenegger's acting, but it was nominated for an yeah. Oscar. I didn't know that. It was released in June of 1987, and it became the number one movie at the U.S. box office in its opening weekend. It grossed $12 bucks opening weekend, which was second only. To Beverly Hills Cop Two for the calendar year of eighty-seven, which says something about movies in eighty-seven. It's crazy how cheap they were because twelve million dollars now is not even like that's like opening on two screens. <laughs> that's like yeah. an indie film starring Zach Braff makes twelve yeah. million dollars on its opening weekend, but it ended up grossing almost hundred million dollars worldwide. Which in nineteen eighty-seven, obviously, by you can you can do all the numbers and the translation there, and that's huge. There's been a lot of films since then about Predator, including a 2018 reboot that I highly recommend. It's hilarious. Uh, But more than that, it spawned this whole subgenre, right? There's all of this Predator stuff. There's Predator video games. There's Predator novels, like dozens of novels. And as you already mentioned, there is the spinoff where Predator jumps universes and fights Alien. And there's two Predator versus Alien movies, but we are not here to talk about Alien versus Predator. We are here to talk about Slash versus Predator. I have no
0: idea what's happening. Okay, great. So let's talk about Slash. Hello, my baby. Hello, my honey. Is it like a cartoon thing? James Cameron going to come out with like some blue weird avatar bullshit <laughs> thing that we wasted our money on? So so
1: let's talk about Slash for a moment, all right? He joins oh. us. Do you know the name of his first band? Uh, Axel's first band was Hollywood Rose. He was in a band in 81 called Titus Sloan. And in '83, he started a band called Road Crew, which was named after the Motorhead song, which is awesome. Yeah, um, and Steve Adler was in that band, so they go they go all the way back there, right?
0: Yeah. Do you know that Slash, Slash's mom used to date David Bowie? Really? Yeah, oh he, yeah. He, I've heard that. He he talked about waking up like as a kid, even like waking up and like David Bowie's in his house with his mom. So do you think Slash's mom was mad when Axel hit David Bowie? Like, I don't know and they kind of became friends <laughs> after that like david bowie and axel were cool after that it wasn't like the vince neil motley crew thing where axel wrote a whole song about him being a douchebag like axel and david bowie were alright after that so uh, no. so we're at the road crew and adler's in that band all right
1: so keep well, going and they they need a bass player and so they put an ad in the newspaper and they meet this guy named
0: Duff McKagan he's from seattle or portland he's from the pacific northwest then yeah.
1: they then they start auditioning singers uh, including Ron Reyes, who was in Black Flag, <laughs> and they start working on material, including a song that eventually does become Rocket Queen, and then Slash disbands the group because they can't find a singer. And he also feels like Steven Adler does not work as hard as he and uh, Duff do. He then, with Adler, joins another band called Hollywood Rose, and that's where you got yep. us, right? And, and right. that band had a singer already named Axel Rose, and a guitarist named Izzy Stradlin. And... Then he plays in a band called Black Sheep and he also auditions for another band which I did not know this. Do you know who he auditioned for? Oh, he
0: did. He auditioned for he auditioned for a great band.
1: He he auditioned for Poison.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he auditioned for Poison, and
1: they didn't like him. Can you imagine a version of Poison with Slash instead of C.C. C. Peniston or whoever? No, C.C. Peniston. C.C. DeVille. C.C. Peniston C. was not in Poison.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. But, I mean, come on. Like, how significant in pop culture are these guys from Poison? Uh, uh, it's just for me, it's like the fifth member of Poison is type 2 diabetes. <laughs> or hepatitis, whatever the hell. Brett Michaels. You rock my world, baby. So before CC got hired slash audition for that band, and it's, it's totally weird because Poison had like those day glow green flyers. Like they were always that bad. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. On the on the Sunset Strip, they had the, the flyers that let everybody know they were poison, you know. But the girls liked them because they dress like chicks so
1: i more than all the rest of them. i also really want if there's anyone listening who's great in photoshop if somebody wants to send us a photoshop picture of poison with cc penniston as a member <laughs> Or Slash with big blonde hair. Oh, my God. Uh, okay, so in June 1985, by the way, that email address is wearethestoryguys at gmail.com. Um, yeah. in, in June 1985, Slash was asked by Axl Rose and Izzy Stradlin to join the newly founded Guns and Roses. Duff McKagan, Steven Adler, they're replacing Tracy Guns.
0: Yeah, what a drag for yeah. Tracy.
1: And a few other guys. They play Los Angeles area nightclubs like the Whiskey a Go Go, the Roxy. This is all stuff you know, right? This is this is the legend of Guns N' Roses. And then and they start opening for larger acts in '85 and '86, and they make a little album in '87. And we all start yeah. to bow down to them as rock and roll royalty.
0: But yeah, they they demoed they demoed everything at Sound City, and when they actually when Geffen actually signed them, then Geffen sent them out the road on the road with Aerosmith. Guns N' Roses had the number one record in America, opening up for Aerosmith. Who is trying to be sober, and I saw that tour, and Guns N' Roses was awful. They were terrible. Anyway. So
1: yeah. this sets the stage for where they are in 1989, okay? So Predator comes out in the middle of 87. So does Appetite for Destruction. These guys go on a world tour. Everyone's talking about them. This album starts to blow up, and then they come back, and in 89, they take a hiatus in L.A slash at this point has developed quite a bit of a drug problem you hear about this more when you get to when you start to read in his autobiography and in other places about the recording of the use your illusion albums and for instance like what is your opinion of the song coma
0: oh yeah i love the long ones that and locomotive it feels like you're in a coma, baby, out of water. So, so Slash openly like, says
1: he wrote that in a pure on heroin delirium. Yeah, I love that song. It's He's a great song. He says, "quote There's not a lot of technique."
0: <laughs> if you, I, I, I like, uh, I like Coma because it's like the chorus, like the one of the final choruses. It's like the you put on, it's the headphone song, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, right? And so the the chorus is done like with a chorus pedal. So like it's got crazy effects on it. That record, despite whatever, like that they put out both those records at the same time and totally weird craziness or whatever. That song Locomotives fun because it's a very Rolling Stones cool song because you put on the cans, put on the headphones, and you can hear the very distinct, different guitars from Izzy and Slash. They're playing two very different things. That are very prominent, and um, I thought that record w- was mixed really well and well. Really so cool. you, Matt...
1: you know they wasted a whole bunch of time, but when they finally, <laughs> when they finally sat down to like, oh my god, we have to get this record out, they did it in thirty six days, and it's yes. thirty six songs. So they yes. literally did a song a day over that period yeah. of a, of a month and a little bit um yeah and slash... that takes
0: more than heroin. that takes more than heroin my buddy yeah no,
1: my buddy uh slash apparently also gives into axel's demands for synthetic instrumentation like uh no-
0: november rain and stuff
1: yeah 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 so you know they were they, you know there's this whole push and pull and we talked about this a little bit kind of in passing in the van halen episode about synthetic instrumentation and keyboards and you know i mean anyone that kind of knows rock and roll knows that there this battle happens in the 80s right because you have new wave and you have the post post i'm not saying post punk but post the punk movement you have things start to happen in the 80s where people start to use things that are not pure instruments and so there is uh there is a little bit of a reaction to that in certain corners of rock and roll and so saying hey we're going to do things that are not produced right here in the studio or that might be produced by machines is a decision that all these bands have to make. And and some bands and some members are more pro uh, than others. So anyway, this is a rabbit trail around the story, but I think we have adequately set the scene that these guys uh, are doing a lot of drugs Uh, slash in particular is doing a lot of drugs. He's bored because this story actually takes place a little bit before they start that recording session and he's hanging out in LA and he's drinking a lot of Jack Daniels. And doing a lot of heroin. And he he admits eighty-nine to ninety one he was heroin was his thing. This is of note because Slash continues to play in the band, and this is around the time Stephen Adler gets kicked out of the band, which you've already talked about, with that famous uh farm aid incident.
0: You know, their whole thing about that was that Steven Adler couldn't kick his drug habit, right? Right, there's too many people in this band that are messing dancing with Mr. Brownstone. That's uh, well, what Axel said. They did four shows with the Rolling Stones, and that's what Axel said on stage, he was like, "This is gonna be one of the last shows of Guns and Roses." <laughs> I like. I used to have that one of those shows on cassette, and I had the one where he said they were gonna break up. <laughs> so weird. So, so th- this story gets
1: a little muddy. The story where we're landing today. I'm ready. But it's during this period where Slash is spending a lot of time doing a lot of things and putting a lot of things into his body that he probably should not be doing. He starts having hallucinations because he's doing so much. He's at a golf resort in Arizona and he starts doubling up on heroin and cocaine. He comes out of his hotel room and he starts running around and he's got no clothes on.
0: Yeah. Naked. That's great. Yeah. So
1: he starts yelling that he's being chased, but the folks around him do not see evidence of what might be chasing him. Slash says, It's the Predator. (laughs) The Predator with, quote, rubbery-looking dreadlocks is chasing after me with machine guns and harpoons. And in an an attempt to combat the creatures, Slash decides he's going to punch through a glass door, and then he ends up jumping back through the glass door naked, and then he decides he needs someone to protect him. And so in this hotel, he finds a maid while he is running around, and he starts to use the maid as a human shield.
0: Which is what I would do. Absolutely.
1: Running through the hotel lobby and behind a lawnmower. And then he hides behind the lawnmower because he thinks behind the lawnmower, the predator cannot get him. Yes. Okay. Eventually, the police are called. He sits down and gives a detailed description of his attack by the predator. (laughs) He says in his autobiography, quote, I was still high enough that I told that story without a shred of self-consciousness. He just straight up tells the police, guys, you know about the Predator, right? The Predator has been chasing me, and it was all I could do to get away from the Predator. I mean, I don't want want to glorify drug usage, but I tell this story because I think it does the exact opposite. Because how terrifying... Would it be to think that you were being chased by mandible munching predator with machine guns and harpoons? That was the level of excess that was happening in the Guns and Roses camp, and this has been documented in multiple places. This happened. He uh, yeah. he got into a police into a police interrogation room and said, "Guys, the predator is after me, and I need
0: your help." Yeah, paranoid delusions from lots of drug use is a drag. Uh, cause that's, that's kind of where you, you have to stop. It's not really, it's not really recreational use anymore. The habitual thing you've already ran through that red light. You're now like, it's now part of the routine. And then it starts to affect your reality. And once it affects your reality and your ability to cognitively, cognitively understand reality, um, Yeah, then you're hosed, man. There's like, you know, you're, yeah. So, okay, so what happened? So he goes into police custody.
1: Right. And And, and he he basically suffers no consequences from this. From what I can tell and from what I've researched, nothing happens. I mean, he was basically set free. So he, you know, outside of destroying some property maybe or paying some fines, it's not like he really did anything other than embarrass himself. But it points out. How cra- I mean, remember, this was a band that a few years before this was was labeled, like, as they're looking for a record label, it's labeled as, the, quote, unquote, the most dangerous band in the world as, as a marketing ploy. This is what they're supposed to do. He's playing a part, and this is where you get into yeah. this whole idea about rock and roll and the, the importance we assign it and what people are, who's, resp- you know, is the public responsible and, and what do they carry as an onus in situations like this. Like it's all a a larger conversation, but I will say this is, you know, he does a few things like this and then Adler is the one that gets kicked out of the band. So that shows you, that shows you how high the threshold was. I mean, if you're going to kick somebody out of the band and it's not slash, that's, that's impressive.
0: Yes. Slash uh, on record, on camera said that before he was 21, um, and it might've been him and Adler. I can't remember which member it was. They were under 21. They were trying to get in the rainbow and they would show, there was one night they showed up and it was ladies night and they couldn't get in. So slash went home and put on a bunch of his mom's clothes and showed up and they let him in. So not only did he win with that insanity, in the rainbow, which I've always wanted to go to my entire life, and, and and I hope to someday that that I'll get to go there. Um, they slash has a booth. So it's not really his booth, but it was like in the early 90s, like that's where they all kind of hung out. And if you watch the videos, if you watch November Rain and and a bunch of those the rainbow is, is present in all these videos and they, they let them shoot inside there outside the exterior for free. They just did it because they were buddies. And, and in that booth, it has the picture like pictures from the November, November rain photo shoot. And it has the guitar, the Gibson Les Paul that he throws off the cliff that they then got and then put back together. And it's on the wall in the rainbow. So, um, he's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah, I mean, as
1: we've touched on, there's a a, a lot of... We could do a spinoff podcast, and we've actually talked about it, uh, specifically yeah. and only about Guns N' Roses. Because <laughs> there's literally like list of 50 crazy things Guns N' Roses did between three years. But this is yeah. one that I just thought was so unique and ridiculous and fun because it also really capitalized on the popularity of... The, of Predator and what a pop cultural thing that was. We haven't really gotten to talk about like how rock and roll and Hollywood movies
0: interplay, and so it is a fun spot to be at. Yeah, I think Guns N' Roses is. I, I think the idea that they are such an influence and such they're recognized as such an important band versus the juxtaposition of the actual amount of output that they had, I think. I think that is not weighed well.
1: That's a because, really good point.
0: Cause like if you look at green day who like Bobby keys, who played saxophone on return to Cinder and played like saxophone with the Beatles and Elvis and the stones, it's not in a rock and roll Hall of fame, but green day is But green day has more records than yeah. guns and roses does guns and roses has what less than a half dozen albums.
1: I mean, do we count Chinese democracy? That's really the question.
0: That's it. Like, does it count? Like, does the spaghetti incident count? Yeah. You know, with the Charlie Manson songs?
1: Yeah. Dude. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> fantastic way to bring it back to other episodes of the show. If you want, if you have not d- dived into what rock and roll bedtime stories is all about, please go back and look. We did a recent episode on Charlie Manson and the beach boys. Uh, we've talked about <coughs> Leonard Skinnerd and the plane crash. Definitely spent some time with the Beatles, and Eric Clapton. But if you want to make maybe make a recommendation, or if there's a story that you've always heard and you've always been curious about and you want to hear a little more about it, you want us to do the work, we'll do it for yeah. you for free. Just send yeah. us an email. It's wearethestoryguys at gmail.com, and check us out online, wearethestoryguys.com. We have another show called Story Guys where we tell, we tell stories that are not about rock and roll guys, but about wannabe rock and roll guys, namely... Me and Murdoch. Um, just stuff from our lives and about the power of storytelling, et cetera, et cetera. And you can get involved in our whole universe. We are the storyguys dot com is the address for that. Anything you wanna uh you wanna leave
0: us with today, Mark? Hey everybody, keep telling stories
1: rock and roll bedtime stories is a story guys production the show is produced and edited by brian eichenberger get more stories hear more podcasts and book the guys for your conference or house party at we are the story copyright 2020 boy have we got stories productions all rights reserved